Hey, welcome to No Idea Original Sports. Hey, how you doing today, Theo? What's up, Kareem? How's everybody? All is well. Doing pretty good. Hey, so we had a good week in sports. Let's go through some stuff and recap. I mean, it's been a week now, but let's talk about the Errol Spence fight a little bit or something. Theo, what did you think of the fight? Uh, kind of flawless, man. You know, I was kind of surprised, you know, him being so uh, active before the accident and during the accident. Uh, he fought a top-tier opponent and Danny Garcia, who was, you know, he's very tough and powerful boxer. And um, he kind of was like, you know, went through Danny. He kind of beat Danny up, basically. <laughs> That's what he's done. And this is the first fight I could see Danny Garcia, I guess, clearly losing a fight. Unlike when you fought Thurman and um, you fought... Um, Porter. Those fights was kind of debatable, could go either way, but this was a clearly lost, you know, clear beatdown. Yeah. What'd you think, Kareem? Man, I would agree with Theo. Um, it kind of sort of went the way I thought it would in terms of uh, like Spence dominating the fight. Yeah, he called it. Yeah. <laughs> I did expect it to go to distance. Um, but yeah, it, it went the way I thought it would. I don't know if I necessarily predicted, like Theo said, for Spence to be as dominant as he was. Um, I thought Garcia would put up a little bit more of a challenge, but I did expect Spence to, to come out and, and beat him. And yeah, I thought, I, I, I agree with you guys. I, think, I thought Danny Garcia would probably put up like a little more resistance, be a, a little, little bit of better fight. I mean, because I thought it was important for him, too, because, again, sad to say, he's a quality fighter, but anytime you start getting losses and stuff, people start looking at you differently. But, but and Spence, for him to come back off an accident and perform the way he did, I mean, he didn't look past, he didn't look past Garcia or something. I don't know if they'll be able to make that neck fight, but, you know, but... It, it, it looks like it looks like they that they'll probably both fight somebody in between or something. I, I, was happy, I was happy to see it because in the first couple of rounds, when you look at it, after that accident, I'm like, I mean, he could be out here just doing this because he wants the money and still be kind of hurt. But I didn't see any signs of him being any any way, shape, or form being visibly hurt. Any now, do you think after this, uh, Garcia becomes like a stepping stone type of fighter? I think he, I think he still probably have a couple of good fights in him or something. It's just that he's got to get out there and find somebody that's quality, and he might, ha he might have to win. He might have to beat somebody. I mean, you figure you fought Spence, you fought Thurman, you fought um the other guy Theo, Theo was saying, and well, those two, those two other fights were questionable. This one wasn't. So who else? Would, if you well, who else would you get to put Danny Garcia in there with right now? Well, right now, it seems like he's a new gatekeeper, so to speak, in that division. <laughs> um, yeah. Not not unless, uh, I guess, the top-tier fighters move up. I can see him fighting Thurman again. That was a very close fight. But as far as Crawford and Spence, he can't beat those guys. And if those guys stay in that weight class, then uh, then Garcia has no chance, you know, winning that, winning that division or being a man in that division. Maybe he may go down to 140, maybe. You never know. Rufus is still available if he can make that weight. Maybe go back down to a forward where he started his career at. But the uh, only way Danny Garcia will, I guess, be the man in 147 is if uh, Spence and Crawford move up to, I guess, junior middleweight, middleweight. Which yeah. seems like a, a good possibility, too. Because um, I know uh, the last time we spoke, we mentioned like Spence dropping the weight 
you know, early, he dropped the weight, I think a couple of months in advance. So he was walking around, you know, underweight for around three months or so. Mm. And I think this is a guy who normally walks around at roughly 180-ish. So I could easily see him moving up, you know, from 147 to 154. Yeah, I could could definitely see that. That'd probably be a good move for him. At this point, I think both those guys, they probably get better fights at that weight too, or higher paydays fighting at that weight. Plus, I don't think uh, I don't think they have much to prove outside of fighting each other. I don't know if they have much else to prove in this uh, weight division. No, no, I don't, I don't think so. Hey, well, moving on from from the Spence fight to college basketball, did you guys see that the guy? Um, I think his name's Keontae Johnson. Yesterday, unfortunately, he was he made a great play and then I just passed out. Now he's like critical but stable condition. And then seeing that, that kind of remind me of like all these different things they had, you know, the Hank Gather stuff, mm-hmm. you know, the, the Reggie Lewis. Yeah, yeah. It's just, I don't know if, if if it were you and you were these guys. I mean, I know everybody's trying to get to get to the money. He's supposed to be the SEC Player of the Year. How how should Florida proceed with that, and how should he go about you know continuing to play? Um, so what I, I didn't see the play. I you know, I had I was watching the game, I kinda of turned from real quick and turned back and I heard about it. Um he, I know that he recently just beat COVID. So that could be I guess um COVID uh post COVID reaction so to speak. Maybe um he still has some in his body that caused that from COVID. But I know for sure he beat COVID. Um as far as his career or if I was him, I would probably probably second guess playing basketball again to be honest with you man it's kind of scary man and it kind of will have a permanent scar in your in your, in your, in your brain while you're in the court the rest of your life whether you play a pickup game or you play college or you still have poor ambitions that mental scar will stay in your brain could affect your ability or how it used to be before that collapse so um i hope he uh you know comes through this you know we pray for him and his family and um uh, I, I always say I'll probably second guess, you know, ever playing basketball again. Yeah, yeah I would agree. Um, I don't know. I know he, he did beat COVID, like Theo mentioned. I don't know if there's anything beyond, because I haven't heard exactly what they're saying the cause of it was, whether it was actually linked to COVID or something else. But I think either way, um, the first thing I thought is I thought back to the Hank Gathers and Reggie Lewis thing. Um, and most recently, didn't uh, different conditions in terms of he didn't pass out per se, but I thought back to the guy from uh, what was it Oregon too, who he was going through like the pre-draft. Uh, yeah, the tour guy got his name. Yeah, he had something going on. Yeah. Austin, um, something Austin. Yeah, I had his so. first name, and and he was like a, a top player too. So I thought back to those guys and I said, man, this is. Like you said, a lot of times people want to chase the money, but life or death, I, I wouldn't risk it, you know, even if it was linked to COVID, not linked to COVID. Plus, I, I think on top of it, um, it's definitely going to, even if he tries to play, hopefully he gets well, you know, but even if he tries to play and come back, uh, I could see GMs and everybody else definitely being scared away from it now. Mm-hmm. You know, he's going to have a hard time, even if he makes that decision on his own to to step back on the court he's gonna have to um like 
I could see him going overseas maybe because the GM's over here in the NBA to leave is probably going to be scared away from him, you know. But I just hope he recovers, gets well. Prayers to him and his family, but yeah, it's a tough situation seeing that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, guys, do you guys think Kentucky is really as bad as this record starting the season is? <laughs> They've had a lot of bad lo- losses and a lot of losses so far. Kentucky, I mean, you've had a couple of teams that had some some really bad losses. But what we see in college, are these, these top flight teams, like to the point where Duke, did you, I don't know if you guys heard about Suskesi's um, canceling all non-conference games now? because they got more home losses this year than they had in the last 10 years or something. So <laughs> I heard about it, yeah. Um, and I, I know he was, of course, uh, which rightfully so, like mentioning the um, COVID, right? The yeah. pandemic, so you can understand that. But part of it too is probably trying to protect that prestige of, of the school, you know? Because like you say, you can't keep racking up these L's. Um, I think uh, Connecticut, I think I could see like Calipari taking these L's and and like kind of like moving on from it. I could see him accepting it, Calipari. Uh, Duke, I don't see Soseski, um necessarily willing to, to realize, hey, this is my team just isn't that great this year. And granted, there's a, a couple of different reasons for it, right? The focus isn't, everybody's focus isn't necessarily on basketball during these times so i think it would have been easier um like for duke to kind of roll with those punches and maybe even if you're going to go that route look to to like in your season early something like that but to like back out of some of the games and stuff like that i don't necessarily agree with that um unless it's a health risk if he has some some you know proof of traveling causes you know some concerns or whatever the case may be but then uh, I think getting back to the question of like these top teams um, losing games, I think a lot of these lower, quote unquote, lower end schools are catching up. You know, um, I think with Kentucky, some of the like the one and done maybe catching up with them a little bit because constantly having to roll in a new team every year of mostly freshmen as your as your leaders. Um, I think that may be catching up to them. Same thing with Duke. Um, maybe to a lesser extent with, with one and duns, but I think other teams are just getting better. You know, this day was coming for Kentucky. The guy's been great for a long time, Kyler Perry. So, you know, this is going to happen eventually. We have a season like this. Um, I, I will give a good excuse for the COVID. Guys can't really practice. You know, you guys are going weeks without, you know, practicing or playing ball or can't play ball. There's no gyms open. Uh, so that's a very, very bad excuse. Um, but one matter is it's parity, man. It's parity, man. All these kids could play. All these teams have talent. And it's been, the talent has been, I guess, getting evenly across the board, no matter what conference you're in, whether it's mid-tier or high-tier, blue, uh, blue bug uh, kind of school. The parity is real even across the board. So it doesn't really matter who's playing who. There's no more upside to college basketball. But uh, that being said, I like Coach K. Disappointing Coach K's tweet about, you know, trying to, basically your team's not good, man. You're disappointed, so now you want to cancel these games. Just suck it up. At least Kyler Perry was mad. So listen, blame me. It's on yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's what it is, man. But um, it's parity, fellas, man. Ain't, ain't coaching. It's just parity across the ball, man. Any conference, man, mid-tier, high-tier. That's what it is that we've seen right now. 
Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, think about it this way. When's the last time you've seen Illinois? I think they're ranked number three or four in the country. You got Zaga and Baylor. So, yeah, the, the talent is spread across the board. It's not Missouri, like... Missouri undefeated. Yep. Yeah. yeah. You know, undefeated. You know, you got, Long Beach, you got Long Beach State out there kicking butt. You know, it's like on and on and on, man. But it's just parody, fellas. You know what? I, I think back to to North Carolina because North Carolina has kind of like been in this phase for a little while now, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. They, yeah, they were obviously a dominant school, and now mm-hmm. they're, you know. So I think this may be the beginning of that North Carolina phase for Kentucky or, or Duke, or maybe both, you know. But North Carolina's kind of been in that phase for a little while now. Agree. They've been getting pretty good talent because still North Carolina, but. They're not necessarily getting those, you know, number one, number two in the nation type yeah. of guys anymore. And yeah, I, I'm sure eventually they'll be back up there. But like you said, it's, it's parity. Other teams are getting better. And the, yeah, the talent is just spread out all over the place, which is right. a good thing. I credit North Carolina because it looks like it looks like this year, I'm starting to see it looks like they might be starting to turn it around a little bit or coming out of it. But I, I credit the university for not bailing like on Roy Williams, you know, because usually when you get to school, they get a couple of couple of losing seasons, miss the Sweet 16 a couple of times and stuff, and then coaches start start losing jobs and stuff. Then you see, so, yeah, these guys start trying to go to like the mid-majors that are coming up. Like Roy yeah. Williams could easily try to quit or whatever it is, right, and go to like an up-and-coming school or whatever yeah. the case may be. Hey, what do y'all think about um, Patino at um, Iona? <laughs> I think it's a good look for Iona, man. I mean, I, right now, I think they're winning one and two or one and three. Yeah. But uh, as far as Patino, he kind of have a nice nice little recruiting class for a guy who had a, a late start when he got yeah. hired, man. He got a lot of local kids from New York and Jersey area, man. And I seen him play their first game against one of the teams. I can't recall right now. But uh, Tanner is there. You know, there's a transition for Iona. But uh, I think it's a good high for Iona, and I think um, for years to come, he will get his players to put Iona, Iona on the map. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I think, yeah, he'll be really good for recruiting local kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. What about, uh, that? I'm thinking of St. John's now, is, is Mullen over there still? No, they, they got um, Mike Williams. They got Mike Anderson, Mike Anderson Arkansas, they, the Arkansas coach. They seem to be playing fairly well, too. They got a couple of good guys over there, a couple of players. They've been playing really well recently. Yeah, it's good to see those, you know, those type of schools start to, especially like, let's say, St. John's, start to come back, you know. Because I think back to when they had, uh, like, um, Felipe Lopez, and I think after that era, I haven't really heard too much. Yeah, I, I got one for you, a big one. Look at um, Look at Rutgers. Yeah, every good team. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a good point. Because right now they're they're uh they're up there, right? I think yeah, Rutgers, yeah, that, right? Aren't they the highest rated team in their division? Probably higher than Michigan and Michigan State too, right? I think so. Mm-hmm. Top twenty five, like the I think no, I think Ohio State is the highest one, probably or something. But I would say Michigan State, yeah, probably yeah. at least second or third best team in, in, that, in that conference for sure. Yeah. They're playing very well, and um, the best player is Ron Harper Jr. Man, he he could ball out. I don't even heard yeah, of him, but yeah. he could play, man. He's definitely a pro prospect. Yep. Okay. 
What do you, what do you guys think of Florida and, and college football losing to LSU? I think I think that that takes them out of that playoffs definitely. That lost to LSU. I didn't really I didn't catch it. You know, I didn't uh, even realize that that they lost. But um, I don't know. In general, it's just been a weird year in sports. You know, right. I, mean, yeah. I noticed in the last couple of days, a lot of the college football coaches have been getting fired. They've just been firing college football coaches left and right the last couple of days. I mean, to some extent, when I look at a time like this, it's almost like these might have been guys you wanted to fire. But because of COVID and the records, it actually helps them with the idea of firing people right now. Yeah, it's kind of like a convenient excuse. You know? yeah. Even though you would think the opposite, like given these uh, circumstances, right, you would think um, they would be a little more lenient and say, all right, yeah, the players couldn't prepare properly, neither could the coaching staff or whatever the case may be due to the pandemic and be a little uh, more lenient. But yeah, it seems to have the opposite effect these days. Yeah, Arizona just fired uh, Kevin um, Sublin, the old coach from Texas A&M. Yeah. I think Auburn just fired eight coaches. But you know, these guys are in the microwave uh, field, microwave, microwave uh, sports field, man. You know, we hire these coaches, doing instant, instant um, gravitation, start winning immediately. They don't want to you know, take time to build and, and create a culture no more. So, uh, you know, it's kind of tough being a head coach, whether it's football or basketball, whether it's pro or college right now. It's kind of tough, man. Yeah, they, they fired on Lovey Smith today. No way. Yeah, yeah, Illinois fired wow. Lovey Smith, so. Illinois? Yeah. But, wow. <laughs> You're like, what, Illinois? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Illinois hasn't been good since I was in my, my early teens, man. When Cordell Stewart was playing Colorado, I was 14 years old, you know? I'm about to be 50 in uh, 10 months, man. Like, they've been in development for a long time. I haven't been good in a long time. I don't get that, man. Yeah, it's just... I don't get it's, that. It's not like they bring in major recruits and stuff to help them out, and they expected to go for the national championship. Right. I right. think they were maybe like a slightly under 500 or something or maybe three and five or something. So they decided to cut ties with him. Yeah, that's tough. I'm sorry to hear that. That's tough, man. So who are they going to hire Illinois? You know, if they don't come back on the map, man, they have to hire somebody who's young. Uh, I guess a uh, guy who have a very crafty offense or defense, you know. You can't hire an old guy to take over Illinois, man. Hire somebody young. Nobody don't see on the map unnoticed give him a shot and hopefully when you hire him you know the, the team or the program gets, gets put on the map again i i can see that i'm trying to hire like some kind of nfl assistant or something somebody who just wants to wants a shot at being a head coach or something like that yeah i think if you like the firing is is only the beginning of the, the puzzle you know it's for these these schools these uh professional teams it's nice to move on but you got to have a plan so i'm hoping that they have a plan in place you know mm. like you said i could easily see them trying to get like an assistant um and give give them a shot maybe i think that's one of the problems with sports in general like as fans we we do want to see people get rid of coaches and stuff like that when they're not performing but sometimes you got to think about who you're going to replace the guy with or something like we're going to fire this guy and put who in. Well, some guys just need to be flat out fired. Like Adam Gates. Right. Yeah, he, he he needs to be flat out fired. Right. <laughs> they, they replace him with. 
doesn't it can replace some guys. That's a good fight. one. Yeah, mm-hmm. but some guys, you know, like Auburn fired Gus Malzahn. Who are they going to replace him with? <laughs> you know? So Bo Jackson. <laughs> yeah, it'll be have to. Yeah, exactly. It'll have to be somebody. Yeah, you're right. It'll have to be somebody at that level that the whole community respects him or something. Yeah, that's a good point. Definitely, definitely. So I remember when we we started, we talked a while ago. We were talking about who at the time were NFL sleepers and who were possible MVP candidates and stuff. Now we're a little bit further along in the season. Who do we think is an MVP candidate now in the NFL? I'm still wrong with my own. Not too many. I'm still with Mahomes, even though uh, like Russell Wilson has been making a, a comeback, right? He's been playing really well recently. But for me, still Mahomes. Yeah, I agree, man. This is definitely Mahomes' trophy, man, for sure. He's the man. He's MVP. Nobody else, man. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of guys that started off strong, and then I don't know what happened. I mean, you know who I think they might – I don't think they'll give it to him, but who, who has a shot if they would have lost these last couple of games – Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray had a shot. They were yeah, they were, yeah. He had he had a yeah. shot, but yeah, he started out well. Yeah. What about uh, Aaron Rodgers? He's always in the conversation. Yeah, still <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah, he's he's a guy I could see them giving it to. Right, yeah. they keep winning. I could see that too as well. That's a good one. That's a good yeah. one. Man. So looking at the teams, who do who do we see as um as as possible um. We know we got a good idea of the playoff, but who do we see as Super Bowl caliber teams right now? In the East or NFC or the let's AFC? Do, um, let's go NFC first. Well, I, I, like we said, Green Bay is, is there for sure. Yeah. Uh, the Saints, even though they're getting the butt kicked right now, but the Saints is uh, <laughs> definitely another team. So those teams right now, I, I would say for sure. Um, you gotta say Seattle because of Russell Wilson, so I will say that for sure. So I'll say those three. It's the Tampa Bay. Those those four teams. I'll go with. Okay. There. Yeah, I, I I think I gotta agree with them. I couldn't see anybody else. I mean, there's some teams that that play well or do a couple of things well, but I couldn't see I could see anybody. I mean, I, out of who's left, are you looking at the Vikings and the Giants? I, nah. <laughs> you yeah, have to have I a miracle agree. for those teams. <laughs> those teams, the one. In the, in the AFC, who are you looking at? Pat Mahomes, of course. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm gonna say don't sleep on on Buffalo Bills, man. Okay. Yeah. Buffalo yeah. Bills, man. Yeah. They, they 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 tough. They dangerous. They physical. They got defense. They got pieces in place, you know, to make a run for this for this chip. Yeah. It's all about matchups, you know. Can can they can they avoid KFC? To the AFC Championship game, if they can avoid, if they can avoid the Chiefs, I think they can, they can make it, man. Yeah, I, I give them a good shot. I mean, I think I still think the Steelers are right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say the Steelers too. I, I like for some reason, you know what? I think in the playoffs for the country, I like Tennessee a little bit. They're up and yeah. down, but I, I, I still like them. They're, they're always up and down. You never know which Tennessee team you're going to get. Right, so that's kind of like the problem. Right. I think Baltimore might have took a step back. Yeah, I think so too. I like Tennessee, like you said, Baltimore. Um, 
I don't think they're title contenders anymore. Yeah, you can't you can't run the ball fifty times trying to win the Super Bowl. It's not going to work. Yeah, you got to pass that ball, man. So, um, yeah. So you got to get a receiver, man. You know, I don't think they can do it this year. No, no. I mean, they they don't even look like they they even they even try to disguise it. Like you mix it up, they just go run the ball. I watched I watched a game where RG three was starting where they didn't even let RG three pass, and then the, the receivers when he did, it seemed like when he passed the ball, the receivers were so pro- surprised that they were just dropping the passes. Right. Yeah, they, their best receivers are tight ends, so that ain't a good look. <laughs> yeah, that's good look. So. Well, does that mean that Jackson has taken a step back? You think? I don't. You know what? Nah. I, it I might kind of thought be, I think so. I, I think yeah, it's possible. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think, agree. Yeah, I, I think that that is for for all the running and stuff. I think um, what was his name? Um, this guy, this guy's um cousin or nephew or something made a point. Brown made a point that um about they don't pass the ball or something. It's like a one man show or something. They got they have to they got to pass the ball and like. I get the idea of throwing long passes, but when you throw deep balls, guys got to either have separation or you got to be really accurate. Right. I think it would be better to get them going maybe with some short crossing routes or something or, you know, something like that to move the ball. They don't ever really look to move the ball. They either try to run it or throw the ball all the way down the field, and they only do that about six times a game. So. Yeah, Lamar's uh, accuracy can be questioned too as well. Accuracy is not really the best. I, you know, he's those even any route, short route, medium route, <laughs> it could be high, maybe too low. You know, behind somebody. So, um, right now, teams is saying, you know what, we ain't gonna let you run past the football, man. So he's again, he proves that even more. Working accuracy, he'll see more and more teams, I guess, uh, stacking a run and making it play, making it past that football. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I, mean, I think that's that formula kind of almost started in the playoffs too, right? Where they got exposed a little bit. I thought. I thought that happened last year when they played New England with Belichick to not pass football. And that point <laughs> yeah. on, a lot of teams caught on to that concept, you know, in, in that film study, man, and uh, put him in, in position to uh, be a pocket quarterback. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Belichick has kind of sort of done that to a lot of guys, though, right? Where he laid yeah. that blueprint to a lot of teams <laughs> in general, you know? And yeah. other teams just, just continue to follow that blueprint. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah, about how do you adapt to it. Right. And so He's far... going to make you go away from your strength. You're going to have to beat them with something else. I mean, who knows? The way the, way the, the, way the, um, the Patriots are playing, the next Auburn coach might be Cam Newton. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, because uh, he, yeah, he, he may be out of the league, right? He's yeah. making his last hurrah. Yeah. Yeah. He still has talent, but uh, is he a NFL starter? I, I, don't, I don't, I mean. Because you can't really blame it on the coaching per se, right, with Belichick. <laughs> That's one thing you can't blame it on and say it's poor coaching. Um. I think the guy definitely still has talent, but I don't know if he's a if he's a starter these days. He might be a good, very good quality backup. 
Um, which isn't bad either, but for a guy like Cam, who was what, like former MVP, um, that's a tough position to be in. So yeah, I could see him stepping away. Yeah, he, he another guy that you could um, say have a uh, questionable accuracy throughout his career as well. You know, he's never been accurate. He had a, he had a strong arm. You know, he'll, he'll do a lot of drive in a minute, but you know, that, that touch over the top of somebody's head, the cornerback's head, his accuracy, because lots of times, man, he's been throwing the ball you know, on the ground or over, I guess, over, over somebody's head. So his accuracy can be questioned as well. So now he's getting older, his body's breaking down, with little injuries here and there. I guess his pocket presence ain't the same as it was back in the days with Carolina. Yeah. So um, he's kind of being exposed a little bit, man. So you really need, you need to get back to running football, man. Yeah, definitely. But do more screens, man. Help the man out. Do more screens for him. Help him out. Yeah. yeah. That's true, yeah. That's a good point. So we right now, guys, we're back. It's almost there. So we, we're maybe a, couple, a week and a half away from the NBA season starting again. And we said we got a chance to see some of these rosters, see some of the our players get back in the game and things start happening. What do we think of the Knicks? We've seen the first preseason game. What are, what are we thinking? I, I think uh, Randall's got to go. And not only because he played bad in the preseason, I kind of like the way he played to, uh, to a certain extent. Because I've still seen a couple of the over-dribbling, not hitting the open man. But the reason why I think he definitely has to go is it's obvious that uh, him and Toppin cannot coexist. <laughs> can't bring Randall off the bench making that type of money. And you might as well get rid of him if you can to get some assets for him, whether it's a, a late first rounder, second rounder, whatever the case may be. And then I think uh, Alfred Payton, I think he's got to go too. Um, either that or he's got to come off the bench. But I'd rather actually have those younger guys that they have coming off the bench, like Dennis Smith Jr. They got to, I think they got to, we spoke before about Powell, uh, Rivers. I think they got to quickly, right? They got a bunch of guards, I think. And I think Peyton is kind of like eating minutes away from those guys' development. I don't necessarily like the pace that Peyton plays at. Like he's good coming off the bench, I think, to kind of like settle the offense down and stuff like that. But I, I don't know. I think those two guys have to go. Um, I like the way Toppin looked. I think he's got to develop a post game. He kind of reminds me of like a Amari Stoudemire. I heard the, the Kenyon Martin comparisons too. I could see that. Um, I think Kenyon was a little more tenacious on the defensive end though than Toppin. Yeah. I think those comparisons with Kenyon may be due to the, the jumping ability, the athleticism. Yeah. So I can see that. So I like Toppin. I think RJ, uh, it's kind of, I don't know, RJ, we've been like throwing him the keys to the franchise maybe a bit too early. He's good, don't get me wrong, but is he a, is he a franchise type of player? I don't think he's necessarily shown that yet, uh, but I like him. Same thing with Mitch. I think we had Mitch penciled in to be like him and RJ that, that um, combo of stars for his young stars but I think Mitch has got to learn how to stay out of foul trouble um, I think he played pretty well but I think that's why Thibs went with uh, Noel because he's going to offer that same paint protection as as Robinson some of the athleticism minus the fouls you know but so far for one preseason game one thing I did notice I'd say is I thought they played a lot harder 
and what they did under um, like Fisdale. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think they're moving in the right direction. I think they just need to, to let some of those younger guys play. I think Knotts was a, a little aggressive. Um, I think Thib seems to be building up his confidence. I like the way Smith Jr. looked. So I think they're moving in the right direction. Still obviously early after one preseason game. So, you know, uh, definitely a lot of room for improvement, but I, I like the way they look so far. Uh, I, I didn't like the uh, offer Peyton signing. I didn't understand that. We signed him back. I, I didn't really understand that for sure. Um, RJ Barrett, I like right now. He's just an athlete out there. He can't shoot right now. He's missing shooting air balls. He's walking jump shots, you know, spike jump shots. So right now, until he proves that um, he can shoot, man, you know what I'm saying? He's going to have some struggles in New York City with the fans. <laughs> I like Obi without suffering. So Obi loses ball. He's going to be a ball for us. So I like that pick for sure. Um, you know, you guys know before on previous show, I was, I'm not a big Tibbs fan. Tibbs is a good coach for a veteran uh, roster. The Knicks is not good enough as a team to have quickly and Miles Powell sit on the bench. Okay. You do guys out there on the floor, you get some burn. We're trying to build a culture, you know, we're trying to build a franchise up. This team is not good enough to have quickly and Miles sit on the bench for, for an entire game. I don't understand that at all. Yeah, I would agree. Because one thing those guys do is space the floor. That's one thing I, I forgot to mention is um, I've seen guys, granted, preseason game number one, right? But I've seen guys running into each other and like the spacing was terrible. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and piles and quickly, they're, they're shooters, right? So they space that floor. You have to, to guard these guys all the way out to the hash mark, which opens it up for a guy like RJ, right? Who's a right. flasher. Right. I hope RJ develops at, at the very least a mid-range game, right? But um, yeah, that's a good point, Theo. That I think quickly and, and power have to get some minutes. I, I gotta, I agree with you guys. I think one of the things I felt was strange. I was watching, and I, and I think, I think, I think when Austin Rivers is ready, you'll see him get a lot more minutes because I think he's one of the only players on the team that can get his own shot off the dribble. Yeah. Um, I think Reggie Bullock should have played more because when he was out there, he knocked down threes, he knocked down twos. So he's one of the only people that was consistently knocking down any type of jump shot. I think, like you said, RJ and RJ and Randall force a good amount of shots, but they're just not good shots at this point or something. I mean, even Noah Knox took shots, a couple of them didn't drop, but they were still the right shots. Nobody was on them. He was undefended. The ones you kind of have to take. If you miss them, okay, you miss them. But some of those contested jump shots and force up the middles and stuff like that. And and I got to go back to what Theo, Tibbs is not the coach for this team. I think the Knicks are kind of stuck in this position where they want to try to win, but they want to try to develop too. You got to kind of, you know, pick where you're at. I don't think they have the type of talent to be in a position where they think they're going to contend for anything or whatever. I think they should be trying to develop those young guys and get them ready. And I like what No Orleans Noel did. He didn't, he didn't, yes. he didn't, get, he didn't really he get any not. shots. All his stuff was off of offensive rebounds, little little screens here, and he hit the boards and defended well. So I think he'll be good to play with Mitchell Robinson to help him out yeah, on how to do those so things. Too. But I, I definitely I, see the improvement. They definitely work harder, and they definitely work a lot harder on the defensive end. Yeah. But I'm they're really... Fight. 
anybody that can shoot or has any type of talent that can make shots should get a chance to be on the court, though. Like, some of the guys, like, bringing in Alec Burks, I mean, I can't even remember anything notably he done he did in the game. Yeah, he was he out there, but did you even realize he was out there? Like, how did he impact the game? And he started. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's the crazy thing is is you can't trot out a lineup of Peyton who can't shoot, RJ can't shoot, Burke could shoot, but he right. like I say he didn't do anything in in the first preseason game, but he yeah. can shoot. Randall can't shoot, and Noel yeah. can't shoot. So yeah. now you, you got one guy who can shoot <laughs> on the court, yeah. and then you wonder why RJ can't get in into the paint, why he no. can't slash. There's nobody who can knock down a shot to open it up for him. They actually that's why, need, that's why that's why you need quickly, right? That's why you need Powell. Those guys yeah. who play with those type of guys, they make it easier for your slashers. Yeah. The second unit to me actually looks more fluent than the first unit. They, it's it's cuz I think the second unit had they well the second unit had three or four shooters on it and the floor like you said the floor spacing was much better because guys were taking shots and they could hit some shots. Plus I like I don't know if it's maybe it's just me, but you could almost tell that RJ doesn't necessarily care to play with Randall and Peyton. Um, so I think the energy is off when he's out there with those guys. Um, so I think that that impacts him. Noel, he's still you know he's he's new there, so I don't think um, any chemistry issues, or anything. But you could almost sense and and even. Uh, on Randall's end, I watch some of these interviews. Randall doesn't even seem like he's engaged, like he wants no. to be there. Because I think he feels the same way most of us fans looking at it. He's just keeping the, the seat warm at this point for Obi to come in. Yeah. So I think Randall kind of senses that, you know? Hey, let's talk about the Nets for a second. Now, the Nets are getting their first chance to play player right now. But I can tell you, listen, it looks like to me, just from seeing what's going across the screen, that Durant and, and Kyrie Irving and these guys, if there's any indication of who they are, what it's gonna be like, they're gonna have they're gonna have a really good season because these guys are just killing. I mean, it, they don't even make any sense. Like you would have thought, you would have thought just from like what they showing on the box scores and different highlights, that nothing's changed from the minute that they left. So if they can play at this level, I mean, what do you guys think the Nets are gonna be like this year? This should be a top three team in the, in the, in the East. Um, I still want to see Kyrie be more of a facilitator because he could create his own shot. So a guy with his with his skill set should be having a a, like a higher uh, assist per game ratio, man. Because I, I feel that if you could create your own shot, get by anybody, you should have an easier time facilitating to open guy when you penetrate, you know, auditioning out to the outside for a jump shot. So I can see, um, not, not say take a step back for scoring more, but just make a more conscious effort of being more of a facilitator. Because team could score. Tim really could score. LeVert could score. Kyrie could score. Harris could shoot. And I even say KD. So scoring is an issue. You know, just uh, attack that basket, put pressure on defense, man, and just facilitate. I know you could do it, though. I just want to see him do it more often. Yeah, I think uh, the only thing I would say, because those guys, you know, Kyrie uh, and Katie are both killers. I think they both have to stay healthy. That's um, obvious, but injuries are injuries. They have no no saying that. 
Um, but I was going to say, I think Kyrie has to, like you said, for one, facilitate. Um, and then two, I think he's got to stop talking a little bit, which it sounds like that's his intent. But I'm not going to speak to the media. But I think even that, he's going about it the wrong way. Like, I think he's bringing unnecessary attention to the team um, with some of this off the court stuff. So I think he's got to slow down a bit with that and just, just play the game. Before the, um, I'm not going to talk to the media thing, it was kind of like throwing the, the jabs at LeBron. We went over some of his his uh, previous statements, but he threw the jab at LeBron saying he, he this is the first time he's playing with another closer. And I think he's got to just stay away from that stuff, focus on the game, stay healthy. And I think if he does that, they'll, they'll have a big year. Um, but the off-the-court distractions, you know, that's that's a big thing with Kyrie. Can he go a full season without the off the court distractions? When Kyrie was a, I'm sorry, I'm I'm sorry, fellas. When Kyrie was the man in Cleveland before LeBron got there, what, what were the Cavs doing? <laughs> nothing. Yeah, nothing. Yeah, nothing. I think Kyrie thinks he's better than what he really is. Maybe he, he he's a great talent, but he's not in the top tier with KD and LeBron and Kawhi, and, and he might be killing Curry over even Curry. You know, he had his moments, had his chance to say to, you know, be the man for the Cavs. And even be eighth seed in the East and lose. He couldn't do that. He couldn't win 30 games before LeBron got there. LeBron gets there, you don't even appreciate him. That's why he apologized to him when the man left. You know, but Kyrie, Kyrie just, you know, he's always been different, man. You know, I like Kyrie, but I'm getting kind of sour on him right now, man, with his, with his, uh, with his race, so to speak. You know, but, um... I don't know, man. Kyrie, I don't know, man. I just, I'm down Kyrie right now, so to speak. I'm trying to, you know, be there for him again, support him, but it's not whining and complaining and doing shots. Just take the basketball, man. Play ball. Yeah, if he does that, I think they'll be all right because nobody could question that, right? Whether him and right. Kate could perform on the court. It's all mm-hmm. that stuff off the court. Right. And then I know we touched on it before, getting rid of like the Nets potentially getting rid of some of that depth they have to bring in like a James Harden or something like that. I don't know if that's necessarily a good move either. Um, I like I like the team they have. I think they need a couple of more bigs. Um, but I think those guys are, like you said, at the very least, the top three team in the East. At the very least, right? Yeah, I think I think they need. I think they. Um... They will be a top three team because I think they got really good complementary players. Like when you look at it, you got you got um, Kyrie and you got um, Durant, but you also have Jared Allen. You got um, you got Spencer Dinwiddie. You got Joe Harris. You got Karis LeVert. You got Prince. Then they brought in guys like um, Jeff Green and stuff like that. Yes, how about Shammett. that? So they 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 got good complementary players and they got they got a good mix of veterans and young guys that'll help out i mean i will be interested interested to see what how how things would get in a close game where you have steve nass as a new coach Kyrie already with his statements about you know there is no coach how how are those and then you got dan tony who's out there with his way of thinking so it'll be real real interesting to see if the game you know is 20 seconds left and the game you know they're down three what's good who's going to be making those calls as to what the play is going to be besides just giving the ball to Kevin Durant. 
Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Give it, even though Kyrie has shown he can hit big shots, I was thinking give it to Durant and get out of the way. But yeah. I think it goes back to Kyrie, whether he could accept that or not. Because for him, that may be like a, a trigger. Here we go again, right? He was kind of sort of trying to run away from LeBron, so to speak. And now he, he may be in KD's shadow over there. So will that eventually cause conflicts? Granted, they supposedly like each other, this, that. But I've seen a bunch of players, teammates, like each other in theory before, and it, it just went south. Mm-hmm. So, as long as they can stay away from that type of stuff, the on-the-court stuff for them will take care of itself, I think. All right. So right now, guys, we're going to bring on some of our guests, Andre Charles from the PSA Cardinals. Hey, how you doing, Andre? Welcome to the show. Yes, sir. What up? What up? Happening, hey, Andre. All right. Okay. I remember, I remember Andre from it had to be how old is how old is my son? I remember meeting Andre. He probably doesn't remember this. I remember meeting him probably like like maybe maybe like nine or ten at least ten years ago in Malali's in the gym. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> back when back when they had that original team when they had like Shabar yeah. and you had Chris and Terry and those guys yeah man that 2014 class yeah mm. yeah I remember that yeah. wow yeah. back to Malali <laughs> yeah, back to the Malali's days yeah the Knicks were good back then oh man so Listen, I listen, I always followed you guys because my son was part of the organization early on and, and March and I remember being being around you guys, but your program is so much more than just a regular basketball program. I think a lot of people see, you know, see the, the success you guys have on the court. They don't necessarily see the things that you guys are doing off the court and understand the information and the things that you guys try to present and the way you guys are helping kids in the community and trying to advance them educationally and stuff. So tell us a little bit about some of that stuff, man, because I from talking talking, I hear you the guy spearheading a lot of this stuff. <laughs> uh I mean it's it, everything we do is a group effort, man. Everything. Um and uh I think a lot of the stuff that we've learned just from taking in uh this this experience uh is that information is everything. Um, we're in a business of information. I think people think we're in a business of basketball, but we're really in a business of information. Um, and when you understand sort of how this country works, everything is a business of information. Um, and we spent 10 years figuring things out, bumping our head against certain ceilings. And if we can make it so that other people, particularly black people, don't have to face those challenges, then that is the ultimate goal. That's that's great. So when I when I look at it, because I always look at the page and I see the different things or something. How did how did you first come up with those um those little information things, or how did you guys decide to start doing that? Uh, well, it comes from taking in just a lot of of things outside of the basketball world. Um, I think when I look at the visuals, um, and what what stays in the basketball space, right? It's an ecosystem that kind of it becomes very copycat. Guys see what other people are doing and then they go, I want to do that. Um, especially if it seems like it's something that's simple and easy to do. 
uh, a lot of the information that we take in is outside of the basketball world. And so that's sort of what people are, are starting to see. It's like, if you look at what marketing pages look like, if you look at what business pages look like, this is what the focus is. It's on giving you information. Um, it's on presenting these ideas in a way that's still gonna you know, draw your eye. But ultimately, it's about teaching you and, and trying to give you some power through that knowledge. And I think for me, that's that's one of the uh, that's a good segue to one of the questions I had is exactly how much effort goes into that. Um, it depends, right? Like some of some of these things, if you look at uh, one of the posts that we did with uh, Jaquan Carlos um, out of Brooklyn, that was something that uh, we did start to finish, right? So all of the photos are original, all of the copy is original, and the idea um was to present it in a particular way it was a it was supposed to do exactly what it did which is to frame him in a particular sense but beyond what it did on social media it was about showing jaquan this is how you come up with an idea and this is how you see it the whole way through right so he was up six in the morning we went and we did the photo shoot downtown um, and he got to see this is how marketing works. You come up with an idea, you build an outline, and you go shoot it. And that particular project took about, I'd say, a week to do, right? But that's one post. There are other posts that might take 20 minutes, right? Um, but when you see those type of results, our kids buy into this stuff and they see like, you know what, the time is worth it. Yes, Jay, I'm going to ask you, um, do you still keep in contact with, with some of your kids from previous years? Definitely. Um, that's a big part of what the Instagram does at this moment is it's supposed to highlight our alumni, right? Um, I think a lot of times what people do with their social media is the focus is on the kids who are there, uh, you know, right here and now. And we do that with our Twitter, right? That's where the... the we promote and we market our kids who are currently in the program, but the way to stay in touch with our older guys has been through the Instagram. Um, and that way I'm, I'm able to, you know, get them on calls like this um, and we'll do Zooms and I have them speak for themselves a lot of times. Or I'll, I'll get to interview um, those guys. So it's a great way to stay in contact with our alumni. So as far as like getting people involved and get, getting the kids involved, how was that initially to, to, you know, to try to kick it off, to get people to buy into, you know, this is what we're going to do? Uh, yeah, that was rough. <laughs> <laughs> that was rough. Um, you know, anytime you're trying to do something that people, uh, that is something you can see and you have a vision for and other people either don't have that vision or they're not, um, they don't have access with things that is kind of your uh, inspiration, it can be hard, you know, um, especially in this space with, with sports, it's so competitive. So a lot of times guys go, I just want the number to be high. What's our follower count? And that program has this follower count. How do we get ours to be like that? And they're not necessarily, they don't care what the content looks like. So we had a lot of back and forth um, on what direction um, our Instagram should go in and what it should uh what it should have and we decided that we were gonna not care so much about the number and we were gonna focus on the content 
and when it first started the content wasn't wasn't all that well received right um i think i had to learn that people need to be met halfway right you got to meet people where they are so it was a little bit too far that way <laughs> um and over time i think we got better at figuring out what is it that kids want to see what is it that parents want to see what is it that you know um people who want to donate to the program want to see what is it that um our, our business partners want to see right like we're we're a part of a, a nike sponsorship right like what is it that matters to all these different entities um and then how do we kind of you know streamline it Ooh. and one of the things that i i um love the more I hear about you guys program is the extra things you, you guys do you mentioned like the focus isn't on basketball only per se um, I understand that you guys do uh, like you guys have like financial literacy training as well can you speak on that just a little bit definitely I mean with we're in a world where if everybody gets what they want right you will have young black men who at a very very young age will be exposed to a lot of right um and it's the opposite of the way it works for most regular people most people make more money as they age in life right they don't get the bulk of what they're going to make in life at the beginning when they have the least information and least ability to handle it so if we're really preparing guys to maximize this opportunity right we're taking somewhere between 10 and 12 guys um, per year and putting them into college. And then half of those guys, um, if all things go well, will be playing professional basketball and will be making over six figures at the age of 21 and 22. At the oldest, right? Some guys will be millionaires by the time they're 19. Um, it's our duty to make sure that they, they understand um, this information. Right? They have to make decisions that most people don't have to make and they have the least amount of time to make those decisions. Right? When, when you see yourself on that draft board and you decide to go pro, you have about two to three weeks to figure out who's gonna be your agent, who's gonna be your financial manager. Um, and these are really key decisions. And how do you think somebody who hasn't had any business their whole life and tell them they got 21 days to figure out who's gonna manage their their financial life. Like, that's unfair, right? And we'd be doing our kids a great disservice by keeping them in that position. Yeah, Orange, I'm gonna ask you, I might type a two-part question. We'll talk about basketball for a minute. Um, do Have you ever been heavily involved in a recruiting process for a player from a program? And um, if I was a head coach, What's the best way to start recruiting kids? Should, should I uh, call you first or contact you first? Or should I send, like, I guess, a recruiting letter to start the, to get the process of trying to recruit a player that I like in your program? So you're talking about if you're a college coach or if you're a high school yes, coach? Yes, for example, a uh, college coach, for example. Right. Should I contact right. you or should I send a letter, per se, before I try to, I guess, build a relationship with your player and, and, your, and you, of course? So, um, my experience, um, just to, to give you guys some background, um, I am an assistant coach at the 17U level um, with our EYBL team. My staff is um, myself, Munch Williams, um, Isaac Green, 
and um, John DeJesus um, from Player Academy. And um, so from a recruitment standpoint, you know, um, I've been involved with pretty much every player that has played at PSA uh, because we get them in. Um, the, the way that recruitment would start from a college perspective is on the EYBL circuit, typically a coach will see uh, a kid and they'll have an idea of where that kid fits in their system. And that person will reach out usually to Munch to get just an idea of, of where that kid's um, recruitment stands, right? Mm. Like what, who else is interested? Um, where Where's the kid looking? Do you think that that kid could play here? Right? And it's our job to give an honest assessment of that, right? If the kid can't play at Kentucky, we're not going to tell you that he can play at Kentucky just so he gets the offer. Um, we want our kids to be in right? So um, they'll usually make contact with uh, with Munch just to get an assessment, and then he'll let them know what the process is and what the best way is for them to start that communication, right? Depending on who is who is crafting the vision for that student's recruitment, right? It could be a parent, it could be um, a high school coach, there could be somebody that is involved already and saying like, you know what, this is the person you need to talk to in order to, to get that process going. And sometimes that's us, but sometimes that's somebody else. And then we'll just direct that person. Um, we'll put them in, in contact and, and keep it that way. Nice, nice. I think that's a, a segue to another question I had is, how, how do kids get into your program? What's the process like to, to join? Um, so we have two divisions, right? We have the middle school division and we have the high school division. Um, at the middle school level, in, in previous years, we've had seventh and eighth grade. Uh, we currently have an eighth grade team. In that eighth grade team, um, those coaches will scout, but they'll also do trials. And so that's at that middle school level. At the high school level, we don't host tryouts. Um, we recruit the same way colleges do. So the same way that uh, a college coach will get in contact with us, we will do the same, right? We have kids who are on our radar, um, kids who are recommended to us. Um, we have coaches whose job it is to go out and scout and we'll make contact with you know, the key person um, managing that kid's recruitment, whether it's the high school coach, whether it's a parent, or it may be a trainer, a mentor, uh, we'll make contact. And we'll start the recruitment process the same way a college would, right? Building a relationship and then assessing whether or not that kid has the qualities to succeed in this environment. Because, you know, our environment is not for everybody. And we might not actually be the best place for you to be. So when you when you go through the process of recruitment, let's say on both ends, I guess I guess they kind of get a get a vision or somewhat of an experience of what it's like to be recruited on the college level just from you recruiting them on the high school level. So it's very similar. Definitely. And that's the point, right? The point yeah. is that you should be preparing for where you want to be, right? Be in that mode um, and have experience, right? When you're getting offers um, from schools, and I'm sure you guys have seen it, you know, kids can can often, that, that can like inflate their ego. You can send them in a different state because it's it's all new. And they think the accomplishment isn't just getting the offer or just being a part of the process, right? And not just seeing it as another step to get to where it is eventually that they want to be. 
So for our kids, we, we try to make it, um, we try to make the experience as close to college so that when you step on campus, you're already ready to be. I remember seeing um seeing a seeing a thing where you guys actually were teaching financial literacy during the actual the act in between the games of the program. I mean, was my I think that's great. Man. How does how's that work with the kids? Were the kids really receptive to that? Or yeah, I mean, our kids, our kids, PSA is a very structured environment, right? Which is why I say it's not for everybody, right? Um. When our kids travel, our kids, so from the start, we do midnight practice, right? So we'll leave when EWAC trip on a Friday. Um, Friday morning, we'll usually catch the, the first flight out, which would be at like six. So Thursday night or Friday midnight, we are practicing, right? And we'll, we'll do two hour walkthrough practice, and then we're hitting the airport. So from 2 a.m. to 6 a.m., we're just in the airport waiting to get our ticket, right? The kids will get fed, they'll do a yoga stretch, and then we'll we'll head out, get on the flight. When we land, the kids are doing another yoga stretch, right? Then we'll go eat, we'll get to the hotel, they'll make their last calls to make sure that their parents know that they're safe and, and we're checked in and all that stuff. Then they give us the phones. It's no more phones for the rest of the weekend, right? Most kids are not buying into, I gotta give up my whole phone for the, for the weekend, <laughs> right? There's no video games, there's no nothing. We have an itinerary that's blocked out from the minute that they're, they're in our care to the time they get back. So everybody knows exactly where they are at any minute of the day, right? Um, we, we have hydration schedules. The meals are prepped based on, you know, health and nutrition guidelines that we set for the weekend. Um, the kids are doing ice baths. Um, they're doing knee wraps. like. Everything is pretty regimented and pretty structured. So when you get to doing a financial literacy course, the kids are like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's something different. And you, and you look at the video, you see there's not a phone in sight, right? The kids no. are post about it, right? Like the thing to me that's cool is they wear it like a badge of honor, right? I know what it is. And every year, right, from the from that group of 2014 with Shavar and Chris and those guys, everybody's been through it, right? The, the 6 a.m. wake-ups to do either the morning run or the, the, the morning pool session before the yoga, leading to the breakfast, leading to the film scout, right? <clears throat> so by the time you get to school, there's nothing they're going to show you there that you haven't experienced. And you're getting it on the AAU side. Right. Now, how long did it take you guys to develop this system? Um, I mean, it's it's been pieces, right? So, like, you know, uh, that first group, they probably went through a lot of uh, <laughs> creative <laughs> creativity, right? Like, um, I I remember like the first time we did the morning runs, they were way too long. We were in Vegas, it's 175 degrees outside. <laughs> You probably shouldn't be running two miles, <laughs> right? Um, so those guys probably had it the roughest. Um, so it's been a building process, but there's certain factors that everybody, um, everybody's going, right? Everybody's had no fun. Um, everybody's been in, in a three to a room. Um, 
the travel has been upgraded for some of the newer guys, right? Uh, but for the most part, it's been there since uh, since we've been at EYBL 17. It's been pretty much the same the whole way. Uh, Dre, I'm going to put you on the spot real quick, man. I want you to either give me your top five all time. <laughs> we always or, hit you guys with this. Always. <laughs> or name that one player that has an automatic spot on your team. <laughs> You're not catching me off guard because we actually debate. Right? Okay. <laughs> you got to win one game. And you gotta pick five. Yep. And right. I know my five. All right. Okay. 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 So, so the second question you ask, who's gotta get a spot? Yeah. Not you can ask either or. Depend how you feel about it. <laughs> Holds my man, but I'm taking okay. Shakti. I'm taking Shakti Okay. Um, okay. He's yeah. probably one of his high school basketball players ever that I've ever seen in my own two life. Um. But my five is probably uh, I'm taking Cole. Okay. Um, Taj Jerome. Okay. Uh, Check Diallo. Mm-hmm. Who I got? Got my three. Um, I'm taking Hassan French. Okay. And who's my? This is where it gets. <laughs> uh today <laughs> I'm taking Quizzy McKnight. Okay. 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 <laughs> nice, nice, nice. Thank you, man. Man, that seemed like it was agonizing, man. Yeah. A lot of talent. It's a lot of talent. There's a there's a lot of guys who put in a lot of work. Um, to make sure that other kids have had this opportunity, um, you know, we give we give all our credit to the kids. Without them, there is no program. Um, they're the DNA. So it gets hard when you got to just pick five. But you know, I'm, I'm riding with that five. <laughs> <laughs> with that five. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you guys got to thank yourself though, because you guys are te- you guys are teaching these guys how to how the whole process works and all all the stuff to go through, and they're they're fully prepared, so there's there's no surprises. But what that what that does is that puts more pressure on you as the individual. Like, listen, you know it's gonna happen. <laughs> you know how this is gonna go. It's up to you to start driving this or what. That's a fact. I mean, the kids they put pressure on you just as a man, right? Yeah. Um, they constantly want to see you progress and especially in this day and age as I'm sure you guys know um, this is not you can't tell kids anything you got to show them yeah. they got to see it they want a receipt of everything if they're making money they're like show me right <laughs> tell me right so if you give them information they don't just want the information they want to see that you're putting that information to use um, yeah. so you constantly have pressure on you to keep evolving, right? Because guys can easily get past you, right? Like I'm, I'm, I'm the AAU coach, right? You get to college, you get to the pros. What value can I still add to your life, right? They want to know that I'm still progressing. They want to know that all of our all our coaches are are still progressing, so that you can still give them information that they want, right? Because it's information that you're putting into your life, 
right? It forces you to be a better man. So, you know, that pressure is always there. So, in, in the copycat world that we live in, who's out there running around trying to do what you guys are doing now? Because <laughs> I'm sure there's people running around trying to, wait a minute, this looks pretty good. Let me, let me start doing this. <laughs> honestly, um, honestly, the stuff we're doing now, there, there yeah. isn't too many people who really want to try it because it's hard, right? Yeah. Um, it's, it's hard. You got to put time and care into doing it. Um, and so most people are like, nah, man, whatever's simple, right? Um, so that happens. The other thing is that we're in a business in which most people think the value or the power is in keeping the information to themselves. Gotcha. If I know it and you don't know it, then you got to come to me, right? Um, we are like, we can give you the information, but there's so much of it that it's hard to give all of it. Right, I can tell you something, and then there's still nuances in the nuances. Right, mm. so there's all there's never going to be a situation where we give you all the information and it it makes us less powerful because there's always new information, um, yeah. and we're going to get it first. Right, that's what makes us good at what we do. Um, I think the copycat stuff, is more like people doing stuff that we did years ago. Um, <laughs> Which, to be honest, is like, it's good to be in a seat where you can see that the influence is there. So it's like, people are paying attention, so let's make sure we get this right. Right? Yeah. The point at which people didn't say happy birthday to the kid. Like, they just didn't do it. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, it's the standard. That's a thing that we were doing 10 years ago. Right? Wow. Um, and so things like that, photo shoot, right? Media day. We see that people take our, our influence. They may get it a year or two after we've done it, but if they're following the steps, then let's make sure that our steps are, are ordered. As we say. You know something, now that you bring that up, I do, I do think that you guys are the inventor of the combine. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people, yeah, you guys are the, could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, you guys are the first guys to do the combine thing. Yeah, I mean, uh, what you said was just an opportunity to showcase our kids directly. And if you build a relationship, and you go, we have enough uh, relationships around the country that you can get 50 or 60 coaches to come um, and see your kids directly uh, and, and see your environment, it's an opportunity you have to take. But also, we get bored. So, <laughs> constantly keep us in a new So, we've done the combine at the high school level. We've done a um, where you get you know, 50 coaches from different prep schools to come and watch, you know, eighth graders play um, and just having those relationships. And if you have them, you've built these relationships. It's your duty to make sure that you give your kids every single opportunity. So when you listen, when you look, when you look at it all, and working with the kids and stuff like that, is it is it hard to get the parents to buy in? Because I know I know what's in the, sometimes you get conflicts between the kids, and I talked a month about this. I know from the state you get conflicts with schools. If they stay in New York in school, they got a different opinion. Somebody's parent has a different opinion. 
I'm doing a lot of stuff to work yourself out because I know that could be crazy. Um, I mean, you're always going to have people who don't necessarily buy in, right? Um, and so we've had, we've had situations where, you know, the kid is perfect for the environment, but the parent um, isn't. So a lot of times you're recruiting the parent the same way you're recruiting the kid. <laughs> um, you got to know that the parent can exist in your environment the same way. Um, and will we'll work with you and not work against you. Um, because the other thing is, we're in AAU, right? We're not high school basketball where we see the kids five days out of the week. We, we see the kids on the weekends, right? So you got two to three days max for the kid, and then they got four days to go somewhere else, and you want to make sure that they're somewhere where your message is being echoed, right? Um, we, we've certainly had uh, experiences where just the plan that a parent or the plan that a coach had for you know, a particular child was different than, than what we had. And we try to, to make sure that we get everybody on board. And sometimes that takes more time than in other instances. Right? Sometimes somebody has to be in the environment for like two years before they're like, you know what? These guys know what they're talking about. <laughs> um, I think the other thing is the environment, like the basketball environment, is one where people get sucked in by attention a lot. And when you get something that gives the kid attention and sometimes other people around the kid attention, people buy into that more than thinking long term. And what's that thing on the road? Um, so you can have a lot of times where people buy into that. And they forget that this thing is a formula, right? You're not the first person to go through this experience. You don't have to discover this on your own. You don't have to prove to anybody that you know how to do a particular thing. You can just follow the formula and get a good result. Yeah. Um, most people are not going to have multiple kids go through this experience, right? Um, if they do, they might have two, maybe three kids. They're not gonna have 150, right? <laughs> 150 kids go through this process, right? We know how it goes and we see it from a way that most parents can't. Um, and, and a lot of parents do understand that, but sometimes parents are just kind of like, no, I, I think I can do this. In which case, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Andre, uh, what advice would you give for someone who's looking to, I guess, Following your first up, so to speak, uh, to get into basketball okay. coaching, yeah, or like they have their own program, so to speak. What if I would you give somebody who's trying to do, I guess, upstart or starting from the ground up, so to speak? Um, and what so the I would ask questions first, right? So, okay. first level, are you trying to start at right? If trying to start at the high school level, that's different than trying to start at the middle school level. Um, and you're going to get different results when you start. Um, if you're starting at the high school level, um, you the first thing I would tell anybody is figure out what it is that you want to get out of it. Right? Because that's going to dictate how you should go about it. Some people want to get into AAU because they want to coach college basketball. That's a different thing than somebody who gets into AAU basketball because they want to make money. Right? Mm -hmm. Or somebody gets into AU basketball because they just want to help kids. Right? 
um, our program in particular gotcha. doesn't have a turnover, right? Our coaches have been with us, like as a whole. You'll, we have probably, you say, eighteen or nineteen total coaches. I'd say fifteen of the nineteen have been with the program six or more years, right? Okay. Which their job is to get guys in into college. So there's a lot of um so once you assess what it is that you're in it for, um, then that'll tell you where to start. If you're in it to get college, then you should probably not start your own program. It may if you're trying to get there quicker, it may be more helpful to find a program that's in existence and be as helpful to that program as possible. If that's your goal. If your goal is to help kids who might not necessarily um, be EYBL caliber or shoe company caliber type kids, then it's about development. And I would say find something that you do that you're very passionate about that makes you the best or one of the best in that category. If you do skill development, focus on that. Um, if you have a lot of connections and can and just get guys into a lot of different tournaments, then do that. Um, if you're very good and personable and, and can build relationships and you can build relationships with media people, um, as well as like college coaches, then you should do that. And you can find other people around you to help do the other thing. Um, but that will allow you to have a space, right? Like when we started, what we had was development. And we had a gym, right? We had Malali. And we were in Malali all day. And kids could come and get better, right? At one point, we were just the, the after-school program up the up the block from the gaucho. And mm. kids just came up. They got better and better, and they would come from everywhere, from Jersey, from Brooklyn, from wherever. They would come to the Bronx, be in the gym, and got and they got better. And we were the best at that. And then we were the, the program that could get you into prep school. And we focused on that, right? And so I would say start there. Gotcha. Thanks, bro. Thank you. Do you guys find it uh, challenging to balance uh, like the attention across all of the kids in your program? Like, have you ever encountered a situation where certain kids in your program feel that other kids are getting more attention, or how difficult is that for you guys? Um, that's a great question. Man. Uh, yeah, that's gonna happen, right? Uh, because this world is is catered around attention so much, and people constantly measuring themselves against other people and what they're getting. Right? Um, we, we spend a lot of time making sure that our kids get rid of that looking at somebody else's plate mentality, right? Um, and so it it, it happens, but. Uh, the ways that we balance out against that is first, we have a lot of coaches. So we try to make sure that coaches at their team are taking care of their team, right? You coach the ninth grade, make sure you're focusing on the ninth grade kid. Coach the 10th grade, make sure you're focusing on the 10th grade, right? And so on. Um, we space out our interviews, right? Um, so any type of media that you're gonna see on our Twitter, you'll see that you're not gonna get a lot of the same kid day in and day out. It's gonna be fun, right, on purpose. We're gonna make sure that if you're seeing Kyle Cuff Jr. and Avery Brown on Monday, on Tuesday, 
you're gonna see Will Richardson, and you're gonna see Kenyon Whitley, right? And then on Wednesday, it's gonna be another set of kids, right? Um, and for interviews we schedule, we'll do it that way, and we'll make sure that that everybody gets um, seen. Now, some parts of it, the kids just gotta mature, and they, they gotta suck up. Right. You're not a top 10. You're not gonna get top 10 kid attention, right? Yeah. And that's life, right? Um, if you if you are unranked, you're not gonna get some of the things that come with being ranked, right? Um, and our kids have to embrace that part of it as well, right? You're gonna, but it's not gonna be the exact same as every single person. Um, so there's a balance. We try to make sure everybody gets seen, but they also need to understand that the world just doesn't work in a way to give everybody the exact same all the time. I mean, when I when I look at the things you guys doing, I mean, it's hard, it's easier to do it from an adult perspective, but kids sometimes don't understand it. Where is you got guys like you said, top guys here. All your guys are top guys. That's for one thing. But what happens is. If a kid could come to the realization that this guy's getting attention and I may not be getting this point of this attention, but I'm still going to a D1 school for free, that's that's where 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 really really you know you've got to have people around you that's kind of filling you in as to what that opportunity really is, because the 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 fraction of people who are getting that opportunity, I, I think that's where where some people not they you know that's the maturity part where they got to understand like. You getting something that people all over fighting for, whatever. And and listen, maybe you may not be getting attention to this guy, but think about all the other people that want the the, the attention that you're getting or something. Yeah. So uh, you get attention because of that guy. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the guy that you yeah. fighting for attention, right? If that's your mentality, might mm-hmm. also the reason why there's sixty coaches at this game. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I think. One of the main things any program should be doing is is trying to give kids a realistic sense of the world, right? Don't hide the truth from them, right? Give them the truth and allow them to handle it. And one of those truths is a high uh, uh, a high tide raises all ships, right? Yeah. And so if you have you know four or five players who are ranked, it's going to be hard for any program to get ten guys ranked, right? So that's yeah. not gonna happen. We should all understand this. But the fact that there's five guys who are ranked, if you're not one of those, those guys are gonna bring attention to you so that you can capitalize the same as if you were, right? Because the whole point is for you to get to college. And once you get to college, it resets itself, yeah. right? And I think our guys understand that. That's um, cool. they, can, they can have moments and just being like, and I wish I was doing X, Y, Z. But I think at the end of the day, they they realize it that, you know, particularly if, you, if you're if you in a situation where you're the ninth man or the 10th man, you're like, one, I'm probably in a position where I'm the number one guy at the high school I go to. Yeah. <laughs> so you get your attention there, right? In this environment, you're not the ninth or the 10th for no reason, right? So the guy that may be ahead of you, you're like, this guy's also good, but you have an opportunity to compete. And what happens every season, um, I think one of the best examples of this is Jaden Reed, 
right? Okay. Um, Jaden Reeves is in our class of uh, 2019, and he was probably going to be, you know, our 10th or 11th man. He's a kid that was with us since eighth grade, and it can be difficult at times for kids to come on the road knowing they're not going to. Gotcha. But, you know, Jaden is super mature and just wanted to contribute. It's just like, give me a shot. I just want a shot, right? And I know every year there's going to be a kid like that who's actually going to get an opportunity because there's so many things you can control, right? One of those things we can't control is James Booknight gets hurt before the season. So James Booknight is going to be out at least until Peach Jam. Here's a spot for Jaden Reeves, right? Now Jaden Reeves went from zero minutes to, man, if you just give us a good six minutes again. <laughs> And, and you have to have a staff that understands the mechanisms of how a team functions, right? So you have a head coach who has an idea of how that's going to be structured. But you need to have assistant coaches who are also capable of keeping the energy of your team intact, right? How you keep yeah. guys Because his six minutes became 18 minutes. And in 18 minutes, the EYBL is half the game, Yeah, right? So he went from, I'm not going to play this year, to just, if I get on the court at all, that's great, to I'm prepared when I step on the court, and I actually played 18 minutes on a team that went to Peach Jam, right? Yeah. Playing with arguably the number one player in the country, in Anthony, right? Yeah. That type of mentality comes when you give your kids the truth, right? This is the position that you're in, and this is how I need you to stay focused, right? Jaden Reeves ends up going to Dartmouth on a scholarship, right? He played his way into the Ivy League. Yep. He, he took his opportunity and he was ready for it. And it came after understanding, like, I'm not going to get everything the same as everybody else, but I got to somehow stay mentally locked in and engaged and, and do all the things coaches talk about. Be a good teammate, have positive body language, always be helping. That way, when I get my shot, I'm good to go. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. And like, like you say, you definitely listen. Everybody's coaching everybody up. So next man up mentality. <laughs> That's a fact. And give your kids something to buy into, right? They have to trust you based on your actions, not your words, right? So whatever it is that we're asking you to do is based on the fact that we made you a promise. If you do what I ask you to do, I'm going to get you D1. That's gonna happen for you, right? Um, and you gotta you gotta live and die on that. And I think a lot of times when it gets difficult, you have a lot of you have a lot of people who just don't fulfill the their end of the, the bargain. Right? Gotcha. I ask this kid to sacrifice, I ask this kid to do XYZ, and then I really couldn't find no options and it was like, uh, sorry man, I just couldn't couldn't do it. And yeah. we don't have that mentality. Okay. No matter how hard it gets, I'm gonna find you a spot somewhere. I don't care what happens. I'm gonna find you a spot. I'm gonna figure it out. Oh, that's great. What would you say is the listen is like your um the most the most inspirational point of doing this, man? Like what what inspires you to do this? Um, I think one, I do this with people I love, like wholeheartedly. So my best friends in the world are uh, essentially my coworkers. Um, 
and then we get to do it with kids that I love. Um, and it's, uh, you know, there, there's the idea that you're not supposed to work with family. And I think we have a completely different you know, understanding of that. Right? You absolutely must work with them, right? Um, and your family doesn't necessarily have to be blood relation to you, but we all have a buy-in into one another's lives. And that's from the coaches to the kids um, down to the parents, right? Which makes this, you know, you're gonna face a lot of challenges and if you're dealing with people that you absolutely love and, and you're a part of their lives, that's what pushes you and that's what inspires me. Right? That's what that's why we figure out new ways to do something. Is because, you know, that's what you do for people you love and keep figuring it out. So go ahead, Corinne. I was gonna say I, I, I hate to switch gears. I just wanted to ask you if you've seen um uh the college player from Florida who who collapsed on the court. What was your just what are your thoughts on that? Um, so there's there's a few um, thoughts. Um, the first one is this is exactly why we need to. The first thought was I need to go harder, right? Everything that we're doing is about those moments, right? We have kids who ultimately are playing college basketball right now. Um, because they're tied to a system that requires them to, right? Like financially, um, they're just like, we can't go another year without this revenue being produced, right? Um, so kids are regularly put in, um, in situations that are not necessarily fully in their control. And I think that that's been, um, Heightened, right? Given um, the kids are not being paid, uh, but they're doing hazardous work. They're constantly being uh, exposed um, in ways that students at their university are not. And anything we can do to give them the power to be in a better situation. Um, that starts with understanding where you are in the, in the spectrum, right? If you don't understand the business of this stuff, you're not going to understand what it is they're actually asking you to do. Um, and you're not going to understand how to leverage that and, and make it the best situation for you, right? Use basketball, don't let basketball use you. This child collapses, um, this young man collapses, and he's a uh, a student who's already tested positive for COVID-19. So we don't know if these are due to those complications. Um, I can't change the college basketball landscape overnight. But one thing that we know we can do is we can make sure these kids have all the information to protect themselves as best they can. And it's my job to do it. Um, all right, perfect. Um, but yeah, just we 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 can't change certain mechanisms of the way college basketball functions, but we can give as much information as possible. And the next step is, you know, just 
how do we get these kids in a position where they're maximizing this opportunity so that when when situations like this happen um so you know i i don't know how how deep you guys want me to get into it but like we've been through this scenario before on two ends right we've been through what is it when you had a basketball function and a child collapses and then the administrators have to make a, a a decision about whether or not you keep playing right um that's one and on the other end what happens to that student mentally right how does the school function who who pays this insurance bill right how is that student treated right that that kid is at a state school right the state school has its own medical system right um and when a student gets injured generally that kid's insurance is either tied to the parents or it's tied to the school the school will pay the medical bills if it's surgery or if it's care whatever it is if you stay in network right um and usually at a state school you're in the state's network so you don't get to decide the care that you get um you may or may not be allowed to get a second opinion but if you decide to go outside of that medical care generally they'll say we're not paying for this so when you decide uh and we've had we've had players get injured and this is the conversation that you end up having with the school um so my thoughts go to who's protecting this young man he's collapsed we don't know what's going to happen but when they decide to care for him what happens next and what options are are available to that person because i don't know this kid's financial situation and you might be you might have to go with what the school says and what the school says um may not be in your best interest gotcha right um especially if we're talking about covid related right because now you're talking about lawsuits right um was what what waivers did i sign right and what rights have i given away in order to be able to play um also with covid you can develop things you can develop like serious uh injuries or serious ailments to your body that don't go away right i got sick i recovered but my lung capacity has never fully re recovered right um most people are not signing up to have something happen to them that's <laughs> going to last them their whole life yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like that's that's insane to say that because i i and i have to play in order to keep my my scholarship right i am not aware of anyone who was given the option of not playing this season and still maintaining their scholarship that's, yeah that's true right i'm not aware of that so these are the questions that come to mind i it comes to mind when when i think about the money side this is an unpaid person they don't even get hazard pay. So the person that works at the grocery store, who's also exposed in this way, gets paid more than the student athlete, right? Whatever we can do to try to change that, to just create and tilt the leverage in the favor of the student athlete, I think is our duty. Um, we know some of this stuff 
um, the other side of it is just how do you how do you learn financial literacy and and put it to use for yourself, right? So that if you can say, let's say you can make ten or fifteen thousand um, off of your plane, right? While you're there, you say, listen, I got a social media account and people pay me for ads. They do this, that, the other thing. How do we turn ten or fifteen thousand to sixty thousand before you leave, right? Just by, by understanding like, this is how you can invest in the stock market, right? This is how you might be able to, to get into real estate. Um, this is how you might be able to start another business on your business, right? Um, these are the things that came to mind when I saw that, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. That's great. I mean, that that's, that's really powerful because a lot of people, they're taking it, you know, from a much smaller, smaller level. But again, like you said, he could, he could have long lingering effects throughout his life as a result of this and there's nothing that's going to go for him because of that i mean it, if anything is going to hinder him it's definitely not going to be an advantage to him in any way at all absolutely and and the university will say it's not our fault yeah mm. right and i'm, I'm say sure it, i'm sure they're making people sign waivers and all types of stuff too yep you sign these waivers and the, the waiver for most kids they're just like they don't have lawyers when they're signing these things right they're just like reading it and they're just like oh this is what i gotta do to play fine right they're, they're signing these things they're of an age in which their parents legally aren't um having to be uh consulted right so they they're old enough where they can sign for themselves but how many people actually have the information people don't even read the itunes agreement <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Like, who's who's reading the waivers and really understanding that? Like, we, yeah. we're, we're right. all this way. So, like, I, I look and I go, when things like that happen, um, and the fact that you know it just kind of continues, right? They're just like, y'all want to play the game? Yeah, right. And you got to play the game. Why? Because the TV contract says you got to play the game. Yeah. Right. But what the, the other part that people don't know is that the coach's contract may say you got to play the game, right? So it's different when you look and you go, well, the university gets money and the TV gets money. But we don't know that what's in the coach's contract is that if they don't play a certain number of games, they don't make a certain amount of money, right? If they don't win a certain amount of games, they don't make a certain amount of money, right? Um, this is the information that when when we talk about like the value of information and being an information business, this is the stuff most people don't understand, right? That you may be going to a school in which what's in that head coach's contract directly impacts your child, right? Yeah. Why is why is your child not playing? Because the kid playing in front of him has a higher probability of making an all-conference team. And the coach gets a bonus based on the fact that in his contract, it says if I have an all-conference player, I get extra money, right? You didn't know that when you signed up. <laughs> <laughs> no, you definitely didn't. <laughs> right? The kid doesn't know that, hey, man, I balled out this season. I made, you know, the all-rookie team, right? The kid's like, hooray, yay for me. Yeah. They don't know that the coach got a bonus for that. Yeah, that's right? true. So when the kid is like, yo, man, like I just did this thing, I'm trying to transfer, and the coach is like, no, no, no. 
<laughs> you can't transfer. I know that's better for your life, but if you just won or rookie of the year, you just made the the, the all rookie team. That means that you're probably going to be preseason all conference next mm-hmm. year. And if you're preseason all conference, that means you're more likely to make the all conference team, which means I get a bigger bonus, <laughs> right? I get an extension on my contract. These are things that the coach uses to negotiate for themselves. But most people don't know this stuff, right? They don't know this stuff. So if you don't know this stuff, how can you, everything is a negotiation. So how can you really negotiate if you only have half the information? Yeah. Right? How can you do that? Yeah, you you, you had a decided disadvantage. Absolutely, absolutely. And so I think our kids need to learn not just don't hear this is a business, right? How about we show you the business parts of this? How about we get you used to the business aspects of it, right? Yeah. And in a way that it doesn't make you a robot, right? You still get to be a human being, but understand like this is what's happening. This is why the coach is the way that he is. This is why things function the way that they function, right? Yeah. That that coach is trying to make this money. And this is specifically how he's trying to make this money. I'm going to show it to you. Yeah. But Kareem, you have anything else? No. Thanks for the the response uh, to that, Andre. That was definitely, definitely uh, good to hear. You know, there's some of those points you made. I wouldn't have uh, even thought about it, you know. (laughs) So, some good points. Nah, man. Thank you guys so much, man. Yeah, you have anything else? No, listen, man. I learned a lot of being quiet, man. It's very good stuff, man. Very, very informative, man. And uh, thank you for thank you for being on the show. I appreciate you. Yeah. I appreciate y'all having us here, man. You man, guys have a great platform, and I appreciate you guys extending it to us, man.